All right. Great worship this morning. Amen. Woo. Good morning, church. How's everybody feeling? Yeah. Right. yeah. Long weekend, huh? A lot going on. Can get the best of us if we let it. So we're we're moving past Christmas now. The next thing in our sights is New Year, New Year's, excuse me. And it's common at this time of the year for us to consider resolutions, right? New Year, new me. Anyone saying that? We might resolve to lose weight, get in shape, save more money. Maybe it's start coming to church, get more involved at the church. Nothing wrong with any of these things, by the way. All good. But for me personally, you know, I stopped making New Year's resolutions a little while back. Probably because I wasn't really good at keeping them. <laughs> Partly. The other thing was, is I asked myself, I said, who am I really making these resolutions for? You know? Typically for myself, right? It's typically what it's, what it's focused on is self. But personally, as I said, I don't bother with these resolutions anymore because I've come to realize as a disciple of Jesus that once I made the decision to follow him, I was resolving to leave everything behind and take on the life that he's called me to. Regardless of what that entailed, regardless of what that looked like. And it can get scary at sometimes, at times, right church? Exciting. But as Pastor always says, is no better life. It's exciting. It's exhilarating. You know, it's, it, there's something freeing about stepping into the, to the unknown of uncertainty and knowing that God has got you. Knowing you can trust him with all the details of your life. That you no longer have to be in control. I was watching a, a show with my wife last night as we were fading off in our Christmas coma. Long day of playing and building toys, chasing a two-year-old around. And, and, and there was a show we were watching, and, and you know one of the lines that really jumped out at me, the girl is narrating, and she says, she's talking about freedom, how this new world is, is full of freedom, they were pioneers. And she says, it's not just this freedom to do whatever you want. That's not freedom. That's independence. She said, freedom is the ability to live in the fullness of life and all it has to offer. And I thought, boy, what a great sentiment. What a truth. You know, I think a lot of the times we forget that. And I'm going to get into that more. See, when I stray or forget the resolution that I made to God, I need to be reminded of my commitment and obligations. I need to be accountable. And that's pretty much what the prophet Micah did with the people of Israel when they were living outside of God's will for their lives. And hopefully through his writings and the message today, it will also remind us of God's will for ours. Maybe bring us back between the buoys. Get us in check a little. Keep us accountable. 
Before we go any further, let's pray real quick. Father, prepare us for this message. Prepare our hearts and our minds to to receive it. Give us a, a willful spirit. Open our eyes and our ears and help us to see and hear you. To remember our obligation, the resolution we once made when we said yes, Jesus. That this isn't a, a free ride. Lord, there's a commitment and an obligation that goes along with all of this because the gospel is a life for a life. You gave yours so that we may live. So, Father, now we are to give ours back to you so that others may live as well. So, God, have your way in the word. Help me to shrink back and become less as you become greater and more in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Micah is the sixth out of the 12 minor prophets. And we call them minor prophets because their writings or prophecy, not be, sorry, not because their writings or prophecy are any less important than anyone else's, not because they worked in a coal mine or because they were under 18, but because their books are relatively short. That's it. Their words are just as important. What they have to say needs to be heard. And so Micah is the one who actually foretold Christ's birth in Bethlehem. He reminds us that despite God's zero tolerance towards sin, he's also ready and waiting to forgive and restore those who repent. He ends this book with this thought in Micah chapter 7, verse 19. He says, He will again have compassion on us. He will vanquish our iniquities. You will cast out all our sins into the depths of the sea. And so today we're going to focus on Micah 6. It involves this imaginary conversation between the Lord of Israel and and Israel. And in verses 1 through 5, the Lord introduces his case against this disobedient people. And then in verses 6 and 7, it records Israel's response as a series of questions beginning with, with what shall I come to the Lord? What can I bring to get right? How? Do I get back in God's good graces? So unfortunately, Israel's focus is on their external religious rites and practices. Much like many of us in the modern church here in America and across the world for that matter, we tend to get so caught up on checking off these religious boxes and doing what we deem to be good and religious instead of what God has called us to do and how he has called us to live. Right? So the the title of my message today is is the message that Micah gave to his people in response to these questions that day. Be fair, kind, and humble. So let's look at Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. In my little subsection in, in, in my NASB here, it says, What God Requires of Man. So it says, with what shall I come to the Lord and and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? This is the key verse. He has told you, O man, what is good. 
And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. A long time ago, over 20 years ago, I think I did my first beginner's Bible study with someone. And I remember as we were talking about the Beatitudes, he was going through them with me. He said, they're called the Beatitudes, not the do attitudes. And this always stuck with me. He said, we're called to be these things. We're not called to just do them. A lot of times we can put on a good Christian act, right? A lot of times we can listen to the right radio station, wear the right shirt, and say the right words, become fluent in Christianese, I always say. But the reality is, is we're supposed to become something new. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says it. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. And so we're called to this transformation. We're called to a new life altogether. We're called to abandon all of the old agendas if they don't align with God's. We're called to put our will aside and allow God to have his way with our lives. We're called to be these things, not just do these things. That's the difference between a relationship with God and a religious experience. We can be really good at religion. We love self-meritorious things. We love to say, I earned this, I did this, I'm up here, you're down there, unfortunately. We'll get to the problem with pride. But the first thing Micah says, he says, do justice. Do justice. In other translations, it says, act justly. This means to be fair. It doesn't mean that you're out to exact justice on everybody who doesn't think, look, act, or talk like you do. Did you know that? I think a lot of times we get to a certain place in our faith walk, we forget one, where we came from, and two, what people need. What we're commanded to do and how we're commanded to be fair. You know, it, it, there's a quote, and I'll butcher it, but it basically it says, you know, when others wrong us, we demand justice, but when we wrong others, we expect grace. And that's the reality of who we are, unfortunately. And so there's this sort of transformation that has to take place in us because our default position is not fairness. It really isn't. Only when it's convenient. Only when it works for us. We read earlier in Micah that injustice was a big problem in Israel at this time. In, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Woe to those who, devi who devise wrongdoing, who practice evil on their beds. When morning comes, they do it because it is in their power. It is in the power of their hands, he says. Because they're able to do evil, because this is what they devise, this is what they've become, they do it. Now we have the power every time we wake up, every single morning, to make a decision as we rise from our beds. We have a decision. We can hit the snooze button and sleep a little longer. We can get up and say, I'm exhausted, I didn't sleep well. 
The season I'm in right now is terrible. Things aren't going the way I expected them to. I'm experiencing financial hardship. Uh, My relationship's a mess or so-and-so's sick. I'm sick. I lost so-and-so. I get it. We are to mourn, and God says mourn with those. But that's not what I'm saying. Those things are not the things that are supposed to guide your life. It is in your power to do good or evil. It is in your power to be a light or to not be a light. It is in your power to say, I am going to make the most of this day, the most of each moment, because, you know, ultimately, I don't know if I have tomorrow. James says that in chapter 4, right? He says, your life is but a vapor. It's short. Here one day and gone the next. Who are we to make all these other plans when we need to seize this day? Matthew chapter 6. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Let's do today, church. We have that decision from the moment we open our eyes till our feet hit the floor. Is I'm going to be a light for Christ. I am going to do justice. I am going to be fair. Fairness is not only a fruit of, a, of the Spirit, but also a command for us as Christ followers. Right? James chapter 2 reminds us that we're to show no partiality at all. And we have a tendency to do that, don't we? We do. We're very partial. What happens is, is when people start to think like us or talk like us, vote like us, align with our beliefs and our preferences and our opinions, maybe they're short like us, just saying, you might connect with them a little more easy, right? But the reality is, is we're not supposed to do that. The reality is, is that, you know, we have a job. We have a mission. We are called to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are called to be fair, to not see the outer appearance, as it says in Scripture, but to look at the heart of the person, to see them as God does, created in his image for a purpose. So how do we treat those people? We have to ask ourselves that. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, it says, For God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. I want to encourage you. I think a lot of the times what we think is, is that, you know, I'm doing all this stuff and I'm not getting anything in return. We might not say it, but come on. Sometimes what happens is, is we are, we're pouring ourselves out into others and for Christ, right? Hopefully that's why. And then what happens is things continue to go wrong. Or, or maybe no one says thank you. Or someone that you've been vested years in walks away or even becomes your biggest critic. They abandon you. They badmouth you. They keep doing the same stupid things. Whatever it is, we don't go into this with the expectation that we're going to get accolades or recognition or or a pat on the back. 
Jesus got a cross for his ministry. Why do we think we deserve more? Our goal is our, our, our heavenly reward, rather, has already been attained. It says we're already seated in the heavenly realms. We already have a place in heaven. We already have an eternal reward that far outweighs anything this life, this world has to offer. There's not anything in this world, no matter how good it is, that is greater than what we have to come. So don't grow weary. Our reward is in him. It's in eternity to come. But for now in this present time, be fair. Be just. You will get walked on. You will be abandoned. You will feel alone and unappreciated at times. And so it was for Jesus, and so it is for us. A servant isn't greater than his master. He was betrayed, abandoned, and hated. So shouldn't we expect more? Should we expect more or better? Fairness means doing what we ought to do instead of what we want to do. Right? Wes Fessler said it quickly that time. I'm getting better, right? Fairness, he says this, fairness is a man's ability to rise above his prejudices. A man's ability to rise above his prejudices. We all have preferences and prejudices, unfortunately. The key is learning how to be just in light of those things, honoring God and others in our actions instead of appeasing ourselves. That's the goal. That's what fairness, that's what justice looks like. It's remembering, you know, God has been fair with us. Can you imagine if he wasn't? Where would we be? The gospel knows no bounds. The gospel doesn't see culture changes, doesn't see race it does not see ethnicity. It does not see gender. It does not see sexuality. It does not see any of those things. It sees people as needing to be saved. And that's what it is. It's this universal, powerful language that all of us need. And so our job is just to be deliverers of that. Stop pre-qualifying people because they don't look, think, live, or act like you. Remember who you were. Remember the sin in your life. Remember that gospel has overwhelmed and overcome you. That it's given you a new promise, a new hope, a new reality, a new eternity. And so every single person needs to know and hear that. I don't care where you came from. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you did. Paul says, I was the chief of all sinners. I like to argue with Paul. He doesn't know me. If anybody knew my past, they'd understand why I'd say that. And you know what? Here I am. I have no business standing here today. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul says that. And his grace was not wasted on me. I'm going to strive as hard as I can and live as gratefully as I can. I'm not who the world said I was. I'm new in Christ. You are new in Christ. It doesn't matter what your family has said. It doesn't matter what the... the employer said or the ex said or your kid said or your dad said it doesn't matter Jesus gives us a new name he gives us a new place he, he makes us his own yes. kindness 
He says, love kindness. The NIV and the the New King James and King James, they say love mercy. Both justice and mercy are foundational to to God's character. Right? And so if we're being transformed into the image of Christ, into the likeness of Christ, right? It says in Psalm 89, 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before you. They should be foundations of our character too then. Micah was reminding Israel that God expected his people to show love to their fellow man and to be loyal in their love toward him, just as he had been loyal to them. And we often need that reminder, don't we? We often need to be reminded of the mercy that invaded our lives. We often need to be reminded of the kindness that God has shown us that we're commanded to show others. Some of us, it comes really easy. Some of you are pretty nice. But some of you, you have other gifts. But it's the truth. Some of us, it just, you know, we're different. God made us all different for a reason. That's the beauty. That's his artwork. Stop dividing on it. Start celebrating it. We're a mosaic. You know, at the core of who we are, we're ugly without Christ. All of us. I don't care what the outside looks like. We need Jesus. I often say this, and it may sound harsh, but it's a good reminder to me, and that's why I repeat it often. Be kind, and if you can't be kind, then be quiet. And don't get me wrong, there's this new age Christianity, this pagan Christianity that puts this at the center of their religion. Just be kind, right? As important as kindness is, it's also not the apex of our spiritual lives. It's not. It's a fruit of our spiritual lives, right? It's a byproduct of walking in the Spirit. If all of our religious beliefs only amount to us being kind, then we're missing a whole lot. I always say, you know, when I talk about the fruit of the Spirit, when I preach or teach on the fruit of the Spirit, what I always say is, is the fruit of the Spirit is not the fruits of the Spirit, It's one fruit that's being developed over a lifetime of walking with God. And so it's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's gentleness, it's faithfulness, and it's self-control. And it's a great gauge. It really is. Because if you're lacking the characteristics of this singular fruit, then there's a good chance you need to draw closer to God. Because the fruit of the flesh will overwhelm us. Our carnality, our, our human nature will take over. And so that's what we should be seeing the longer we walk with him and the more we press into him. However, this lack of kindness, as I said, not only is it proof that we're not walking in, in the spirit, it's, it's proof that we're not even abiding in him at all. 
It means we're leaning on our own understanding. It means we're in charge and guiding the ship instead of Jesus. And that is a very dangerous place for us to be. Who crashed their ship until they met him? Yeah, how did that look? I know I was terrible at it. Kindness is also an overflow of gratitude and selflessness. This is something that I've learned over the years, something that I've really observed, that the kindest people are usually the most grateful and selfless, right? It's this overflow. Grateful people are kind because they're content and they appreciate all they have. They, they understand that they, they didn't deserve any of it, that they've got more than they ever hoped for, that they ever deserved. They understand grace. They realize what God has done, Right? So when we realize God's mercy in our lives, it's hard not to be grateful, right, church? And it's hard not to be kind when you're grateful. And gratitude, a lot of times, has to be cultivated in us because we get what I call spiritual amnesia. Gets fuzzy sometimes, right? We forget. So we have to cultivate that gratitude. We have to constantly be reminded. That's why we stay in the word. That's why we show up. That's why we keep Christian family around us. That's what fellowship does, because we remind each other that God is good. And then someone says, all the time. She got it right. Star for the day. But that's the point. We need to be there with and for each other. This is not meant to be done alone. Gratitude can't be cultivated alone sometimes. Sometimes we have to witness what God is doing in other people's lives. We need to see breakthrough and victory, not just for ourselves. That's selfish. We need to see other people, you know, hit milestones and achievements to see God carrying them through the darkest moments to say, wow, man, that is a God thing. That is a God moment. That's important. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, it says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That's the operative phrase, right? That's the important, that's the, the crux of it all. It's as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgive each other. Stop holding grudges, church. Stop being resentful and bitter, church. That only hurts you. It divides the body. It's not helpful. It's disobedient and it's sinful. Be kind. Love kindness, Micah says. This is the same thing that happened to those religious people back then. They forgot. They forgot what God had given them. They had forgot their deliverance from Egypt. They had forgot all the battles they overcame. They forgot the land of milk and honey that was promised and given to them. Now it's like, I earned this. I deserve this. I'm one of those people. Religion can do that to us, can't it? We should be humbled. We should be grateful. We should be broken before God in his majesty and reminded of all the good he's done. He's in control. We're not, and when we try to be, things get really bad. Selfless people are kind because they care more about others than themselves. 
Just like Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, he says, Do nothing from selfishness or vain or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Man, if we could just adopt that mindset that other people were more important than us. Think of that. The plague of racism would be gone. The plague of, of any type of discrimination would be gone. It's okay. Mark Twain said, kindness is a language which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. The deaf can hear and the blind can see. It's this universal language that speaks to everyone, isn't it? And it has the power to transform someone's day or maybe even their life. I want you to think about that for a second. You know, how many times do we get caught up with the busyness of the day? How many times do we look at what we have to do that day and we say, here's my goals, here's my objectives, i got to check all these things off before bedtime tonight. Right? Who's, a, who's one of those people? Come on. Shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm the same way. But here's the problem. There's nothing wrong with being a doer. Here's the problem. Here is the problem. We live in a busy society. Everything is rushed. Everything is your way right away, right? Everything is drive-through and microwave. Everything is, is hurry up and wait. It's crazy. And in that, what ends up happening is, is all these opportunities that God has appointed and, and ordained throughout the day, we miss them because we're looking beyond at our checklist. There are people who need to know Jesus. There are people who are hurting, who need to be encouraged. There are people who need a hug. There are people who need a kind word. There are people who need a dollar. There are people who need something, prayer, the gospel. And we're too busy to give it to them. That's the truth. We've become too busy, church. We've forgotten our call, our ministry, our purpose. Our job, our job is to be present and take each day as it comes, each moment as it comes, okay? So love mercy, church. Be kind. And the last thing he says is to walk humbly. He says, instead of just saying, be humble, he says we ought to walk humbly with God. And I love that sentiment, right? There's this Latin phrase, caram Deo. And it means to live before the face of God. And I remember hearing it. It's always stuck with me, the importance of that, right? Because we're supposed to live in a way that our omnipresent God is forever present, forever there before us at all times. Right? And so if we do that, we adopt that mindset, then our omnipresent Father is with us and we're living in his sight. That awareness can help us to walk humbly with him. When we know God is here, not just in us, but around us everywhere, then we can start to live accordingly. We start to live in a way that honors him. We start to live in a way that he is glorified. Not us, 
not our agendas, not the things we care about, not the things we're bothered by. We're more concerned with who God is and what he thinks and what he wants. And that's our goal, Karam Dale. All of us should adopt this. Religious practice doesn't save us, church. Religious practice means nothing. If all we do is show up here on a Sunday, give a few bucks, and that's it, and the rest of our lives look exactly the same as they did prior to us coming to church, then guess what? We need to reevaluate everything because a relationship with Jesus Christ is going to change us from the inside out. And we're not going to be so religious. We're going to be kind. We're going to be humble. We're going to be loving. We're going to be fair. And so that's the importance here. No amount, he says, he, he goes in, you know, the answer, the question was, is, does the Lord take delight in thousands of ram and rams or 10,000 rivers of oil? No. What does he require of you? He doesn't care how religious you are. He doesn't care how much you give. No amount of personal sacrifice can replace a heart committed to justice and love. You cannot outserve your sin. You cannot outserve your sin. You cannot come to church more or give more or, or serve more in a ministry if your heart is not right and you are not fully committed to him. All the good in the world means nothing unless our hearts are his. Religious rites and practices, no matter how extravagant, can never compensate for a lack of love. And that means love for God and love for others. And Paul reminds us that these commands are more important than anything we know or do. Anything at all. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, it says, If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. It means nothing. It means nothing. It should deflate us a little bit, shouldn't it? It should bring us back down to earth, shouldn't it? Because some of us, we lack love. We lack the ability to love. We lack the desire to love. We haven't even come to that place where we're ready to fully love God more than ourselves, more than our own agendas. And therefore, we can't even begin to love others the way we're supposed to. So we put on that Christian mask and we do nice things and we serve and we try to outserve our sin. But the reality is, is until we fully submit ourselves and surrender to God and allow him to take over, you know, we're crippled in that moment, spiritually. You know, I think we can work out being, you know, more just and fair. I think that kindness is something that, as I said, most of us can accomplish, accomplish excuse me, and even without the spirit at, at times. And it's not that God wants us to operate apart from him, but I think these two things come a lot easier than humility does, doesn't it? Pride is at the root of most, if not all, of our sin. It really is. You know? I have a friend who used to always say, I'm the best at being humble. <laughs> humility is so elusive, isn't it? It's like the moment you think you've got it, it's gone. And that's why we need to be on our knees all the time. Right. Mouth shut, ears open. Eyes open. Spirit open. Because the reality is, is, is we can fake it till we make it, so we think. We start to, to think more. Humility, it's, like, it's not this natural or, or, or default character trait for us, for any of us. 
Even after we've received God's grace and, and been forgiving for much, we tend to come to a place where we forget the value of those things or it just becomes less impactful for some reason. It's like spiritual amnesia, right? We start to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, as Paul says in Romans 12. We tend to get more self-focused and most of the time we don't even realize it. It's this slow, gradual thing, this self-focus that happens. Personal preference starts to trump the more important things. We start to live in expectation. We become critical of others. We start to see our opinions as fact, and then we become unteachable, and then we become unsatisfied and even intolerant of anything and everything that doesn't align with our perspectives, opinions, or expectations. We become what I not jokingly call but sadly call Republican Christians. We become political Christians. We become Christians who are more bent on politics and the world around us than we are about the gospel and delivering that to people and living by that in our own lives. We, get, we talk more about them than we do about him. And that's a problem, church. We are Christ followers. We are not Republicans. We are not Democrats. We are not here for them. We are here for him. And so our job is to live that out and to speak highly of him. This is a dangerous place to be when we get there, when we're unteachable, uncorrectable, and unaccountable. We become a danger to ourselves as well as others. And, and I'll tell you, correction is a hard pill to swallow. It is. But it always makes you better. It always makes you better. You know, it's funny, sometimes we say the hard thing to somebody, sometimes we say the thing we have to say to somebody, and they might hate us for it in the moment, they might get angry with us in the moment, but I'll guess, guess what, if they're truly walking with Christ and the Spirit of God lives within them, what's going to eventually happen is, is if it was truth that you spoke into them, they're going to come back full circle, they're going to apologize, they're going to say thank you. You may have to deal with that cold shoulder for a season, and that's okay for the glory of God, Amen. Micah spells that out here in chapter 6, and I'm spelling that out for you all here today. When we can't surrender to God's greater plan for e or even submit to the authorities he's established, then we're not walking humbly with our God. We're not. God has established all authority according to Romans chapter 13, and our job is to submit ourselves to that. There have been bad kings and rulers our entire history. Did you know that? And he appointed every single one of them for a purpose. And so what makes us think now we all of a sudden deserve all of the best kings, rulers, and presidents, and politicians? That's not the battle we fight. We don't war with the weapons of this world. We don't battle with things of the flesh, do we, church? So why are we mixing ourselves up and wasting those precious moments and days with those things? Micah was reminding God's people of doom that was coming if they didn't repent and change their ways. They had turned into a people of injustice. They were unfair. They were merciless and unkind. They were proud and needed to be humbled. And these things never changed, it seems. Ernest Hemingway said this. He said, there is nothing noble in being superior to your fellow man. True nobility is being superior to your former self. When we lose sight of the fact that we are the problem, then we lose sight of this, what this life in Christ actually means and should look like. 
Church, it's time for us to take an honest look at ourselves, individually and as a whole. Are we the church that God has called us to be? Are we the people that God commands us to be? Do we need to take a minute here today and look at these things in our own lives? Fairness, kindness, humility. Do these things define me? Do they define you? Do we need to repent? Do we even talk about that word enough? Isn't this the place to do that? Isn't this the place when we are, are, are preaching and sharing the word of God and equipping you for the ministry? Is in when God convicts us, repentance can happen anywhere at any time, but especially here, we should leave here refreshed and free, not carrying the same stuff when we walk out the door. So now is the time, and this is the place. You can come on up, worship team, and prayer team too as well. As always, there'll be folks praying, uh, willing to pray for you on the side here on the altar. But we need to walk humbly with our God, church. I want you to look at one of your friends and say, stay humble. I'm learning a lot lately. A whole lot. This past year, 21, you know, yeah, the world's crazy. So what else is new? You know, the reality is, is that God continues to do great things amidst that. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. Yes, horrible things are going to happen. The rain is going to fall on the just and the unjust, the same scripture says. But the reality is, is that that's not for me to worry about. My job is to walk humbly with God and allow him to grow me through those seasons and through these challenging years. You know, since this merger happened with the two churches, I love it. I've learned that, you know, things that I needed to learn. Not all friendships are what they seem, unfortunately. I've also learned that some friendships are greater than I had ever realized. God's creating new friendships. He's also creating deep friendships with good people all around us. I'm watching this body just meld and become one and come together. But more importantly, personally, he's teaching me to walk more closely with him. I've realized a lot more of my deficiencies and that in this day and age, if I'm going to be the person or the pastor, or the husband, or the father that I need to be, if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be, then we need, we're going to have to take a stand. We need to take a stand, church. When does that happen? I'm committing myself to these things that Micah reminded the people of Israel to do because I want to be right with God. Who's with me? Stand up. Don't just raise your hand. Stand. Stand up for injustice. Stand up for kindness. Stand up if you're ready to commit yourselves today and walk humbly with your God. Because we're in this together, church. God is doing something very special here. And we cannot allow anything outside of that to distract us or destroy it or divide us. It's an honor and privilege to be part of this. Let's give it the attention it deserves, church. Let's worship him.